turn in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 1. We're making our way through this book very slowly, but we are getting through this book. It's such a rich passage, rich introduction really. We have the privilege of looking back to this book through the lens of the New Testament. That's what we tend to do. We see these Old Testament truths that are there, and they were probably somewhat veiled, somewhat obscured to the people in the Old Testament. They, they knew some truths, but boy, we see such clarity from the New Testament perspective, and so these become such rich passages to us then. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this word, and we do see its richness. We see that it obviously comes from an all-wise God, a God who is aware of what's going on down here on earth, a God who is kind, a God, God who is good and empathetic toward people, a God who is gracious above all, and a God who is holy. Lord, we see these characteristics of you in the Old Testament, and they're even more enhanced in the New Testament. We thank you. We thank you for such a solid faith that we have to build upon. The truths that we glean from this word, Lord, guide our lives. They they provide a foundation for our lives, reasoned thinking for our minds. They provide answers for our day. And Lord, we just thank you. We have a rich spiritual heritage. And we, we thank you. We recognize that that is from your hand. Bless our time today. May we apply your word as we, as we can to our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul tells us in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, that we are to cling to what is good. And I like that. That's really kind of a summary of the Christian life. We're clinging to what is good. We're, we're holding on to, to God's design of what is beautiful. He is the architect of this world. This is His universe. He determines what is good, what is right and true, and we hang on to it. We hang on to that which is true and righteous and good. And that's hard to do, though. It's hard for us to do because there's a lure of sin and sin will lure us away. That's the, the tendency. And one sin is, is never enough. It's, it gives a propensity for another one. And one sin, one commentary said, uh, prepares a way for another sin. In fact, it, it pleads for it. He says, nay, even it makes it necessary in order to cover up the first sin. That's our tendency. And we have to fight it. It's like walking downhill. You could take one step. Once you take one step, it's easier to take another. And gravity just tends to take over. That's what sin does. One sin leads to another. One gray area. Oh, I have liberty here. I can do what I want here. And it's just something minor. It doesn't hurt anyone. And then it leads to another and another and another. 
And before you know it, sin is in control. And you say, well, we'll never, that will never happen to me. I, I can control this thing. But sin is a, an aggressive cancer. It, it will eat us up from the inside even before we detect it. And we're much more vulnerable than we think. We are, and I, I see that the older I get. And we have confidence that we really shouldn't have. They're, Satan is real. The world is real. And they are an allure to us. Our own flesh deceives us. And it, and it fights against us. And when we're led away, that lured, when we're lured away, we're far then, far from righteousness and we're separated from God, ultimately from God, and that's death essentially. So we need to be prepared. We need a plan of attack. We, we have to think through these things. We have to anticipate those moments of temptation. We have to prepare for battle. And that's what it is, folks. It's preparation for a battle against sin or sin will overtake us. That's just what happens. Even with believers, we're still fighting against it. And Solomon is, is in this passage preparing his son. And that's the most basic thing that he can do. And it's a wonderful thing. It's the, the place to start for a book of wisdom. He's preparing his son on how to handle temptation. And we are, as it were, just listening in to see what he says to his son. What's the best approach? And we've asked that question. How can we handle temptation? What can we do to prepare ourselves to handle or withstand this lure of sin, this desire, this, this temptation that we have to sin? And Solomon gives us an illustration here. He gives us an example, if you will, of enticement. And it's pretty universal. The same basic components that Solomon would deal with 2,500 years ago is the same components that we would deal with today. And there, there's universal principles that we can glean from this example that, we, that Solomon has given us. And we started it last week. Last week we went through... The first step, the first step is to secure the source of biblical instruction. That child, the son, has to hang on to the words and instructions of his father and his mother. God's word comes to the parent through, or to the child through the parents. Then all of us, we learn, all of us need to have the word of God, biblical instruction ringing in our minds, ringing in our ears. Moses said, it's our source of strength. He said, it's our very life. David said, I hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. He used it as a, a tool to combat evil, David did. And that's, that's where we need to glean from that. We have to make sure that we uh, have that source of biblical instruction. That's the first step. That's the place to start. We have to prepare to, for temptation with that. The second step, the second step is that we need to recognize those moments of temptation. And I believe this is a, a big one. This is important for us to understand. We need to recognize it. So often we don't. We'll raise our hand around a, a campfire or, or make some solemn oath 
in our living room or in the in the church and and we think we're good. We've made that promise. We've made that that oath and and we're good against temptation. But that's not true at all. In the real world, when you get out there, it's much more subtle. It's much more difficult. And, And Solomon is teaching his son how to recognize these things. Let me start with with verse eight. We'll read down to verse 10, just this this beginning part. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath around your head and ornaments around your neck. That's what we went over with last week, is securing that biblical instruction. Verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Now, the son has to recognize a couple of things. He has to recognize the sinner... Who is this person? What do I know about this person? What is their character? And he also has to recognize the enticement. What exactly is the lure? What exactly is he promising? Now, we could see both of these in, in this, in this passage. The Bible calls it these sinners. They're labeled sinners. These are Unbelievers. These are those who are still rebelling against God. Their way of life is contrary to the instruction that this young man has been taught by his parents. Contrary to that. These are sinners. They've been labeled by uh, sinners because of the dominant characteristic of their life. They, they live in their sin. You say, well, the righteous sin, right? God's people sin. Yes, but there's a there's a difference there in that uh, the righteous sin, when the righteous sin, they are sorrowful over their sin. They're broken over their sin. They don't stay in their sin. They take steps to, to avoid sin. But the sinner, they feel comfortable in their sin. They feel comfortable in their rebellion against God. They feel comfortable with the words that they use. They feel comfortable with their ungodly attitude. They feel comfortable excluding God from their life. I'm just fine. That's the sinner. And the young man has to be able to recognize that. But it's easier to recognize when you have an example. And so Solomon gives us an example in verses 11 to 14. And look at this. In verse 11, he says this. If... If they say, so if sinners entice you, do not consent. And here's what they say. Here's the example. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up like Sheo, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. And we shall have one purse. Now there should be red flags that come up in our own mind of recognizing, yeah, that's sinner's talk and that's an enticement that is there. I want you to be able to recognize these, these red flags here. The language. This is language from Satan. This is crude and base and, and vile and, and vicious language. Their, their plans are evil intent. They've thought through a lot of detail on what they're going to do. You see these things. And they're going to cover it up. Uh, like, like shield and, and someone going down to the depths of the pit. They just vanish. They're just gone. They cover up their sin. And you see motive there. Ill-gotten gain. Greed. 
A quick fix, quick money. And you also see their expectation. This is pie in the sky. That's, that's what they're, that's what they're selling. They're enticing. It's enticement. And sinners entice because it's just the characteristic of their father who is Satan. And Satan, soon as he was, uh, as soon as he fell, he came to earth and he began to what? He began to entice. He began to entice. That's what he did with Eve. And so we have to recognize not only the sinner, you have to recognize the enticement. Now the word enticement here, or entice, is a, is to mean open-minded. It's just an open-minded person. A person that, that, that is open to anything. You can fill his mind with anything. And we're not to be that way. This is the simple, the gullible, easily, uh, easily deceived person. In the Old and then sorry, in the New Testament, James gives us one more element, and that's this enticement has an allure to us. There's something within ourselves. James calls it a lust. Within us, there is a lust that is there. God doesn't have that, but we have that. And it's because of this sinful nature that we have, there's a there's an enticement there, a lure, a yearning, a desire. For more, for better, and it tends to lure us away. And that's enticement. We understand that. Now, there's four enticements here, at least, but I, I'm just going to pull out four just for the sake of example here. Verses 11 to 14 again. And it's kind of like a, a commercial. Here's what you're going to get if you join our team. Here's what you receive. First of all, is belonging. They're promising belonging. Come with us. Let us lie in wait. Let us. Three times you see that. And then in verse 14 is kind of the clincher. Throw in your purse with us. And we shall all have one purse. We're, we're a team. You can belong here. You, you fit in. There's this peer pressure. This peer pressure to, to belong. To, to fit in like everybody else. To be a part of the team. To be a buddy. To be a part of the club, to, to be a, a part of a, a group of like-minded companions, that this idea of one for all and all for one. And they're selling something that they cannot fulfill. There's really no such thing. No one, no group is going to be able to feel this longing in our heart, this craving in our heart that only God can feel. It's just not going to happen. Now, God has created the family, and He's created the church, and we find our sense of belonging within the family and within the church. Those are God-given avenues. They're not perfect, but they're there. And we should take advantage of those. And we do have that sense of belonging, and that's a good thing in this, uh, in the context of the family and of the church. But it's never going to find, you're never going to find complete happiness from a certain group. It's just not going to happen. Another thing they're promising was adventure. Adventure. Satan has all kinds of exciting adventures for you. He promised the, the prodigal son. Remember, the prodigal son went to a far country in order to find some excitement. His life was too boring. And I have to say, sometimes our Christian families are just boring 
we tried with our children to make it as exciting and venturous as, as possible because we know that the world's going to promise them everything out there. But you know what? Even a good Christian home where there's fun and there's adventure and excitement, we can't, we still can't compete with the world. The world is always going to have a, an allure. Because why? Because we need Christ. This young man needs Christ. He needs a heart commitment to, to Christ. Number three, he's promising wealth, precious wealth in verse 13. And this is one of the biggest allurements, you, you might say, the, the covet, coveted items of the heart. We're going to fill our houses with them. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. You know, so often we, we don't even miss things until, until we see them. Or, or until they're within reach. You know what I mean? Sometimes we, we don't even know that we miss, you know, that car or that truck. For me, it's an F-150. Until, you know, I'm sitting at the red light and I look over and there's a beautiful F-150. I don't care what color it is. It's an F-150, man. And it can entice me. It can lure me. There's something within me. And, and, and I don't even know I miss it until I see one. And then it's, boy, it's, it's there. And you've got covetousness. And you've got greed. You know what I'm talking about. Number four, there's a promise of ease. We can get all of this stuff. We'll, we'll just share it. Very little work. And that's the allure. Just ease. You can have all that your heart's desire without developing the skill, the God-given skill to, to be able to do these things, to be able to help your community, to be able to, to work and get these things the right way. No, this is the quick and easy fix. You can have comfort without the daily grind. Boy, that's appealing sometimes. But God intended us to work. He put us on this earth to work. It's a glorious thing when, when you see people that are skilled at their job and, and you see that that gives glory to God. So there's a twisting here. There's an allurement of this son. And the son has to be able to recognize this, this temptation. He's got to be able to see it. Eve didn't see it, did she? She didn't see it. She was deceived, the Bible says. Deceived. Saw, uh, Samson, remember Samson? He saw it, but he just played with it. It was just a toy to him. He thought he was in control. It'll never get me. I can just play around with this thing. Poor Peter, he was warned, but it, it just hit him like a truck. He never saw it coming. It just overwhelmed him. Jesus, though, Jesus saw it. Objectively, he knew what was going on. He recognized this temptation. He combated it with Scripture. He, he thought clearly in those moments. Now listen, that's our model. That's what we want. You say, that's hard. <laughs> that's an understatement. Yes, it's hard. But this son, our children, if you will, ourselves, 
We, we must be able to, to listen and observe the situation. We, we must have our father's instruction, our mother's instruction ringing in our ears so that we hear those, those words. And we see the situation, we hear the plan, and we see that no, this is not something that is right. This is not something that is good. And we're better prepared for temptation. Notice, though, there's only one rule against the, the enticement. He says, if sinners entice you, what? Do not consent. Don't do it. Just say no. You say, well, that's simplistic. Yeah, it's a little, sounds like a little simplistic. But here's what's going on. Sinners, the sinners that are enticing here, Satan, they can only entice. They can only put that lure in front of you. They can only, uh, they cannot force you to, to do these things. They cannot force you to sin. And we need to understand that. That, that helps us to bring an objectivity to, to temptation. You can say no. And in fact, when it comes down to it, Satan is not going to get the blame. The sinner's not going to get the blame. The son's going to get the blame. It's his his actions that are going to be wrong. And this temptation needs to be exposed for what it really is. It's just a, a, a worm with a hook on it. And it will get you. And worms may not entice you. They don't entice me. But if you're a fish, you know what I mean. There's a hook in that bait. And sometimes we just... We look at it and we play with it and we, we let it entice us. Eve says, well, you know, it looks good to make one wise. Yeah, I, I could see it maybe having those properties. We kind of fester. It's kind of like a bacteria. A bacteria grows best in the, in the dark. But it needs sun. It, it needs exposure. And that it will kill off that bacteria. The same thing needs to be done with with sin and with temptation. You have to just see it for what it really is and just see it objectively. Not conceal it, not harbor it. And the best way to, to do it, folks, I, just in my own life, is just to be honest with yourself. And sometimes I have to say that to my own self. And I, I will, sometimes out of shock, I'll just say, my, my heart is being lured here. My heart is, is really wanting that. And, and I have to just, it makes saying no much more easy when I just confess that to myself. And I think, Carl, you should be stronger than this. But you're not. Your heart really wants that. Why are, why are you even thinking about that? But when I'm just honest with myself and I just say, you know, this is really a temptation. This makes it so much easier to say no when I expose this temptation, this situation as for what it really is and and just see the enticement, see who's alluring me. It's easier to do. Let's move on. Here's the third step. So you have to recognize those moments of temptation. Third, you have to avoid contact with temptation. You say, that's simplistic. That is a little simplistic. It's easy. It sounds easy here. Verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. 
Now the invitation, my son, come in and join us. Not my son, but he's a, the invitation is, is to come and join us. The instruction from the Father, there's a warning. Don't even walk in their path. It's not just don't join them. Don't have any contact with them. Don't walk on the same path with them. Don't spar with them. This is the same uh, principle that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 5 in Sermon on the Mount. This principle of radical, uh, radical uh, imputation. If your eye offends you, pluck it out, he says. If your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. This principle of radical imputation. It's not rocket science. It's just avoid it with all costs. Recognize your allurement. Once you see that, then just avoid it. Avoid it. This enticement, uh, this enticement is, is there. And you know it's there. Then you stay away from there. You have to stay away. Don't spar with it. You don't give your flesh an opportunity there. Until you become stronger in the word and then that enticement is gone, then just just avoid, stay away. You say, well, that sounds like, and this is kind of the way we would interpret it today in our 21st century. You say, well, that sounds like doing it my own strength. That sounds like self-effort. And God just needs to take that temptation away from me. Now listen, it's not God's fault. We have to have some grit about us. But it is a little bit more than just pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. It's a a little bit more than just sheer willpower and determination and raw muscle. That's some of it. You have to say no. But there's another element here. And I believe it's 90% of the problem. The other, the the willpower, that's just 10% of it. The 90%, what keeps this son where he is, is the first two words in verse 15. Now we could focus upon, we could focus upon, oh, I can't go that way. I can't do that. I can't do that. And focus on all the negatives, all the things that we can't do. All of the, the whole garden, we can eat from all the trees except the one. And that's the one we focus on, isn't it? That's what happens. And we, we spend 90% of our time focused on one, that one tree. But look at this. 90% of the focus here with this son needs to be on the my son. The relationship that he has with his son. Look what's at stake. There's a, a loving relationship with the father, with the parents. There's a trust there. There's a desire to please. There's a value system that says my parents are important. I have this relationship. I do not want to disappoint them. And that's what keeps the son. It's not just the the willpower. It's a a little bit of that. You have to have that. But it's this relationship with with the parents. Now listen, I say all that because it's the same thing with God, folks. It's the same thing with God. What keeps me from sinning is not just my own strength. That's a little bit of it. You have to have that. You have to say no. But it's my relationship with God. It's my love for God. It's not my own strength. If it's just 100% self-effort, then yes, that's legalism. And you're just trying to manipulate God. You're just trying to look good on the outside. 
If you don't have any love for God, if there's no relationship with God, then yes, that is wrong. And we need to learn, we need to learn that lesson. We need to sometimes just avoid the, avoid the temptation. Completely stay away from it. No contact with it. Until I'm stronger in the Word, until there's no temptation there, I need to stay out of McDonald's. I need to stay out of Tudors. Right? Until that allure is there. Boy, I tell you, there's some restaurants, you just drive by them and man, you can smell the hickory smoke barbecue. And man, it's like, I'm lifted up out of the seat. You, you know those cartoons, you know, and you just, yeah. That's kind of the way it is. And, and sometimes you just have to stop and say, no, I'm not going to do that. And it's because of my love for my, and my relationship with God. And that's what keeps me. It's not just my own willpower. It's kind of a foolish idea anyway. Number four, let's quickly. This is a, a little bit more complicated one, but number four, know the word well enough to be able to think your way through the temptation from a biblical standpoint. That's what Solomon wants of his son. This is step number four. And he starts out with the word for. He says for, for their feet. Now what he's doing is he's giving a reasonable explanation He's given a rationale. And listen, this is from God's perspective. This is seeing them as God would see them. And I love this because it's helping his son. It's not just, okay, son, you stand here. You do this. You do that. No, the heart has to have reason. The son has to be trained in his heart. He has to think through these things. It's not just, okay, say no, and that's it. No more discussion. No, he's got to see this stuff. Because it helps in the moment of temptation to be able to understand what's going on. And you see things from God's perspective. And he says, for for their feet run toward evil. They hasten to shed blood. God sees them as, as wicked, sinful people under the control and power of sin. They can't even control themselves. They're running downhill. They're running after it. Their own death. Verse 17, he sees it as foolish. God sees them as as just fools. I like this little illustration he gives, verse 17. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of the bird. The bird's sitting up there and he sees you setting out this little trap for him. He, just by instinct, is not going to go down for that. He's not going to come down and, and get himself caught in this net the birds have more instinct than they verse 18 for they live they lie in wait for their own blood they ambush their own lives they're just being foolish they want happiness but they're pursuing a path of death it just makes no sense just foolishness from god's perspective he looks down and he sees these fools another thing from god's perspective is this They're enslaved, verse 19, so are the ways. The ways of everyone who gains by violence. It's a a path. They've turned to the life of crime. It's It's a way of life now. And he says, ultimately, it takes away the life of its possessor. That's that's what's happening here from God's standpoint. When you drive by a an accident scene, 
you take warning, don't you? I was going up just, I think it was Friday, going up Raleigh, Raleigh Hill. There was a scene and the, the ambulance was there. They were pulling out the gurney, getting ready to put somebody on the gurney. And what do, what do you do? You look. How did this happen? What's going on? How dangerous was it? How bad was it? And we learn those things. And Solomon has painted a picture for us here, for his son here. And, and he says, now learn from it. You pass by a wreck, you see the devastation, you see the, the death that even may be there. And we learn from it. That's what we, we learn from it by seeing it from, from God's perspective. We see a, a catastrophe like that and, and we naturally, it becomes a natural deterrent, if you will. A natural deterrent. This young man or any young man who is giving thought to his life would not entertain the thoughts of, of going down a, a tragic path like this. Anybody could see it. This path that's, that may be filled with roses and flowers, but it's a path of death. It's a path of evil and bloodshed. And that's the way God sees it. And so we have to ask the question, can we reason our way? Can we think our way through temptation? Do we see things from God's perspective? When we do, we can, it, it will help us. It will help us be more objective and not just be drawn away. We can be a, a little objective here and say, here's what God sees. Here's what God sees. When Joseph, he was being tempted by Potiphar's wife, remember that. And here's what he said. He, he fled and he, he got away from her, left his coat behind it. You, you know the story. But here's what he says. How can I do this great evil against who? Against God. He had the right perspective. He had God's perspective on this. And it gave him clarity that, that he needed in the moment. And I wonder, what, what verses do you have in your mind that help you avoid temptation do do you have verses memorized that will ring in your mind the wages of sin is what be sure your sins will find you out we need to know scripture fear the one who can kill both the body and the soul right those scriptures need to be ringing in our head and then, and we can think our way through and see these things a little bit more clearly. If we've come to serve the Lord, if, if that's what we really intend to do, if you've come to serve the Lord, you will be tempted. You will, Satan wants to lure you away, and he is really good at it. He is really good at it. And if we really want to serve the Lord, then we need to be prepared. Now, if you just want to play around, you can just play around like Samson. But let me tell you, you will get your foot caught. You will get taken in. Satan is too smart. If we are going to serve the Lord, then we need to be prepared for temptation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, may we be prepared May we prepare ourselves. And Lord, may we know the Word so well that we can combat any 
allure that, that Satan may throw at us. And just like Christ did, he just used the word so well when he was in that moment of temptation. He could think his way through. There's no enticement. He was objective. Lord, may we be like that. Father, you told us in Romans chapter 6 that we're freed from sin. We don't have to serve it. Satan, he can just throw out a lure. He can throw out a temptation. But he cannot make us. Cannot make us obey. Cannot make us sin. That responsibility falls upon us. And Lord, may we be faithful to you. Lord, help us to cling to what is good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.